long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her the news. You're the one. You're the lady that's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. And her response was, was not, well, of course I'm the one. But there was shock. How could it be me? How is this possible? A teenage girl who's legally pledged to be married, and yet that marriage hasn't been consummated. How, how can this be? I don't come from the right family. Matthew chapter 1, we're introduced to Joseph, and he finds out that the woman he's pledged to marry, whose name is Mary, there we go, he finds out that she's pregnant and he can do the math. It's not him. It's not his. And so he decided to divorce her in his heart quietly to honor him to honor her, and yet he knew that he had to do this because it wasn't right. And then an angel shows up in his dream and says, no, 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 you don't know what's going on, and tells him that your wife is carrying the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, the one who's going to save his people from sin. And you think about that and you just wonder how many times did Mary just look back at that moment with the angel and just cling to those words as she went through this struggle over nine months. You wonder how many times did Joseph second guess what was even spoken to him in this dream by this angel as he no doubt endured shame living in this small village uh, amongst people that they knew very well in this small town, and you know how small towns go. The people can plainly see his wife is expanding. Nine months of awkward explanations, the whispers, the rumors, the judging. And then in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it tells us that a Roman census was taking place, and all Jewish males went to the city of their fathers, and so Joseph is going to go to Bethlehem, and he travels to Bethlehem to register, and he takes Mary with him, and it's there in Bethlehem that they go, and as they arrive, they can't find a place to stay. Everything's full, and so there, Mary goes into labor and ends up giving birth to Jesus, the Savior of the world, in an animal shelter in a feeding trough. You know, we listened at the beginning of the gathering as Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 was read, and, and, and it went to that scene after Jesus is born to these shepherds who are nearby, and they're there just minding their own business, right? Tending someone else's sheep. Those that are, you know, these shepherds considered nobodies, illiterate, unclean. And it's them, it's to them that the angel appears and the angel appears and, he, and he's speaking to them. And not only is this angel speaking to them in this moment where they're just in shock, 
but the glory of the Lord, it says, shone around them. Sometimes you just got to put yourself in the setting and go, I don't know. Man, that must have been incredible. And it was so incredible, they're paralyzed in fear. And so the angel addresses them and says, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for you and for all the people. Today, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, has been born. And this will be the sign. He'll be wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, after they said this, there's a multitude of heavenly hosts all of a sudden in front of them praising God and saying, in Luke chapter 2, 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It says in verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they see this. They're blown away. It's not just one angel anymore. It's all of these heavenly hosts declaring those powerful words. Declaring these praises. And, and, and as they hear glory to God in the highest and, 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 and they're listening to this uh, and then all of a sudden it's done, it's gone and the, the night is dark again and they look at each other and it's like, let's go. And it says they, they went in haste. In other words, they went really quickly to go to Bethlehem to find the Savior and they go, they arrive and they find Jesus in this manger and they're there and, and as they go to worship the child, they tell Mary and Joseph all that they had experienced. They tell them about the angel. They tell them um, about what led them there and it says that Mary treasured these things in her heart. She held on to them. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 20, it, it ends with, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay? In other words, they were never the same. When they went back, it says they went back to those fields and they're there. They're, they're declaring all that they have seen and heard. They're praising God together like their lives, there's no going back to what you were after that. And once again, I'm reminded, of, it said in the song we just sang, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. You guys, at this point in time in human history, I'm telling you right now, that accurately describes what was happening, stuck in sin and error, pining uh, as, 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 they, as they were uh, during this time going through major, major Rome oppression all throughout that area as they're dealing with that, as, as, as literally the, the nation of Israel, they, they, they called this time before the silent years. They haven't heard for hundreds of years from a prophet and they're crying out for that. They're being oppressed Life's not so good, and it's in these conditions that Jesus comes, and that's why it says the world was stuck in sin and error, pining. That word pining, is, it means to literally suffer a mental and physical decline. And so that's the condition, that's the state that they're in, but then what is the second part of that? Till he appears and the soul felt its worth. That's such a powerful statement. After his arrival, the soul felt its worth. As the angels announced to these shepherds, what, what they just had to go, why are you telling us? 
But the, but the angel shares with them, and then they're the ones that get to go. You guys, they're the first visitors. They're the first ones to get to see the baby. I don't know about if you've had kids, the first people that you allow into the room, those are some special people. Some of you are like, I'm not letting anybody in the room. It's how special that baby is to me. You don't go outside and go, hey, you want to come? You want to come and see us in, the, <laughs> in, our, in this kind of state? And meet our baby? No, you don't do that. And yet, and yet, it's strategic. And God is, is saying, I've hand-chosen these people to demonstrate what I'm about and who I'm about. And, and as we look and, and, and see what's happening, these shepherds, the very people who the world said, you don't matter, are the very people who, when he arrived, the soul felt its worth. In other words, God is declaring you have incredible worth. And that's what they're feeling. As they're there, as, as they're in that room with Mary and Joseph, they felt their worth. You guys, Jesus coming to earth established that everybody, including shepherds, you and I, have incredible value to God because he came in order to save us. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when you look at that, you can't detach yourself from the Christmas story because you're part of the reason he came. The angel said what? It's great joy for all the people. I just feel like sometimes we come into these gatherings that we're kind of supposed to, right? There's the Christmas Eve one, there's Easter and that. We hit those, we check those off the box. But do we really fully understand what's happening here? Do we understand the significance? Do we understand that this has to do with you and me? It changes everything about us. And, and when you think about the, the, the reality that you have incredible significance to God, If you've allowed 2020 to hijack your value, it means your value was dependent on the wrong source. Your hope wasn't anchored in the right place. Because according to God, you have so much value. He sent Jesus here for you. You know, the next line of the song is a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. I have been looking at that line for the past three months, just over and over again, thinking about it. And what this is, this is different than the thrill of hope that he would arrive. This is the thrill of hope experienced as a result of his arrival. You've been given the gift of hope. Emmanuel, God with us. God gave the gift of hope through Jesus. Hope is now having peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, he was birthed in, in this feeding trial, born to, to poor peasants, no room for him. Shepherds uh, were his first visitors. Like, like when you think about humbling process, emptying yourself out, Jesus came and emptied himself out to, to, to literally be born a baby. Like, why wouldn't he have just came as a man? But he emptied himself to the point of becoming a baby so that he could connect and relate to anything and everything you would go through. And then he, and then it literally, he walks through life perfectly and ultimately humbles himself, it says in Philippians chapter 2, humbles himself to the place of obedience on a cross for you and for me. 
Through his birth, his life, his death, and resurrection, Jesus brings us peace with God. Amen? In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, it, it, it describes exactly what we're going for when we hear this, the thrill of hope. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, that is what we need right now. That's what we need right now. But don't miss it. Where does that come from? All of this is only possible through Jesus. See, once again, everything changed for the shepherds. Their hope went from desiring, just like everybody, the arrival of the Messiah, of the one that would save them. It went from, it went from that to an excited anticipation of the finished work of this Messiah, to the return of this Messiah. Their hope shifted. It changed. Uh, when, when, when you look at the word hope, hope can either be defined as something you want or something you're expectant for. The thrill of hope is an expectation, an anticipation for the return of Jesus. When you see the Bible using the word hope, you see hope all throughout the Old and New Testament. And it's really interesting when you study the word, uh, you see it used in the Old Testament, but where it really starts to pick up pace, where you see it more and more frequent is actually after Jesus. See, Jesus brought this whole new dimension to hope. And then it ends, right? It ends at Revelation. Why? Because he comes back. See, when, when we look at this, as a result of Jesus coming to earth, we now have, as Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 says, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That is incredible when you think about this. We have, because of Jesus now, a sure and steadfast hope, an anchor for the soul. When you think about all of our hope and what it's been resting in throughout this year and, and all the different places it's taken you and the emotional ups and downs and everything that you've tried to just work yourself through, we need a hope that is steadfast, an anchor for the soul. And it literally says this is the kind of hope that, that literally takes you into the place behind the curtain. Now, what does it mean by that? Well, that's, that's literally the holy of holies. That's the presence of God. So this is a hope that will be an anchor for your soul because of Jesus. And this very hope, this thrill of hope that we're talking about, takes you into the very presence of God. Because of Jesus, everything changed for us. 2020 doesn't have to the final say. It's not the conclusion of your story. This hope is untouchable because it rests on the finished work of Jesus, not you. 
That's why Romans 8, 37 through 39, it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Do you think they covered it? Absolutely anything will be able to separate us from the love of God. And then don't miss this part. The love of God in who? In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing should separate us from that. Nothing. But once again, who is it through? Jesus Christ, our Lord. So everything that we're doing right now, it's got to be in direction to him. It's got to give him praise and acknowledge what he has done and, and, and celebrate why he came on the scene. You guys, tonight and tomorrow, we celebrate his birth. But the thrill of hope that we're talking about, the thrill of hope stays with us. Tonight, allow God to move your heart to an expectant place. Wake up tomorrow and celebrate the reality that he loved you enough to come and to save you from your sins, but then make the choice to live with anticipation of his return. When you wake up in the morning, you be thankful. You be thankful that, that, that regardless of what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, your past, your present, your future, Jesus loves you enough that he still came. And he still offers forgiveness and salvation from those things. So you be thankful. But then the next step is this, right? If, if I'm truly living in light of that, it gives me this thrill of hope because I know he's coming back. But it's either, oh, I want that to happen or I'm expectant. That's the type of hope it's talking about. And if the thought of him returning brings uncertainty or fear for you, I want you to ask yourself why. Because just maybe you're a shepherd tonight and God is saying, I'm real. I've arrived. He's distinguishing himself from these other things, maybe that we've placed our hope and our trust in. You know, tonight after this gathering, because it's the last gathering, I'm going to go home and I'm going to turn on It's a Wonderful Life and I'm going to do my puzzle because that's what I do every Christmas Eve. Turn that movie on and I start a puzzle. And every single time I do that, my boys come up and, and they look at the puzzle and they do one of two things. They either try and help which can be good, most of the time, not so great, you know, and they start helping and they say, dad, I think this is just too difficult or this is going to take forever. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. And then, and then they, they go do their thing because they're bored or they bring their own simpler puzzle and they sit next to me and they do that. And I feel like sometimes when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the gospel message that, that Jesus came to do for you, which you could never do for yourself, that he came as a child on this rescue mission to be birthed into this world and then to live this perfect life 
and pay the penalty for, for yours and my sins and go to the cross because we're not perfect. We could never, ever earn the approval of God. And, and, and because there had to be a perfect sacrifice, Jesus went to that cross. And then as he hung on that cross and said, it is finished and gave his life up, the perfect sacrifice for you and for me, it literally crushed that dividing wall that was there because of our sin between us and a perfect and holy God and because Jesus went and did that. And not only did he destroy that wall of separation, but then he resurrected from the dead three days later, declaring victory over sin and death. And because of that, he gives us this place of peace, brings peace between us and our heavenly father. He reconciles us to God, which could have never happened without Jesus. And for whatever reason, when we start to actually process that, some people try and, and say it's all these other things, and it's about this, or it's about that, and you just do this and say this. And, and, and we start making it this puzzle uh, that, that my kids look at, and they go, no. You guys, the gospel is simple enough for a child to understand. We've had kids all throughout our church give their lives to Jesus. Okay, because it, it is really a simple message. And for whatever reason, for some of us, it's become all these other things. And it's like, man, that's good for them. Or that's too difficult to fully comprehend. Or I just don't understand. And, and we leave it there versus actually trying to unpack it. And what greater time to unpack it than right now? Than an evening where we're literally celebrating the birth of Jesus. And we're not just celebrating it because it's like, oh, that's what our culture does. No. I'm looking to preach three times on a Thursday night. We're doing this because he's our savior. We're here singing these songs, crying out to him, getting emotional because we're reminded that he saved us. You guys, he's an incredible savior. If you have never made a decision to receive him as your Lord and savior, man, I want to challenge you to make that decision now. 2020, Christmas Eve. I know, 2020, there's a lot of memories. You're like, I want those gone. But just maybe this year, it stays. Maybe this is the year for that decision. 